famous um, guy named Blaise Pascal once said that all human evil comes from a person not being able to sit alone quietly in a room. And this, for me, this um, it reminds me of how just the simple act of stopping, keeping quiet, even for a few moments, and letting our minds sink into our bodies, our bodies into our minds, which means if we're doing this, that means we have completely, at least for that moment, oriented ourselves to this timeless present, as Alan Watts calls it, the eternal now. That if we were just to do this, if we did this every day just for a little bit, a lot of um, healing would take place. It would prevent a lot of evil. And the evil that I'm thinking of right now, I'm not going to be so... um, Bold is to say all human evil. But so much of the evil that, uh, that plays through our mind, that wreaks havoc with our sense of well-being, so much of the, of the uh, tormenting conclusions that are made in our mind that this present moment this present experience, this present life, me, everything about it is somehow wrong and uh, needs to be different. Just for a few moments, just to keep quiet, just to stand still. Uh, So much of uh, us would be able to experience the so many of us would, all of us would be able to experience the, the almost instantaneous feedback of, of peace and silence. As, uh, as many of you know, I just came off of leading a retreat. How many, there are many people here who were at the retreat. How many people were at the retreat this last week? A few. Well, I don't need to tell you, but uh, but there is such a beautiful um, healing that happens in the silence. That, but it's and it's something that we tend to relegate to retreats, and we can plan a whole year or six months how to get to a retreat, and that's a beautiful thing to do. Plan to get to a retreat so that you can that you can give yourself that gift of healing and solitude and silence and give yourself the gift of safety and give yourself the gift of, um, of letting life touch you in a, in, in a very immediate way. That's a beautiful thing. But there is a tendency, even for those who go on retreats, to save it all up for the retreat time, to not stop. This is partly the inspiration behind my um, 100-day retreat plan. Any of you been brewing about the 100-day retreat? 
great. I hope you've got some creative ideas. Just to give you a little sneak preview, well, it's now been postponed till January 11th, and I'll tell you uh, why. <laughs> in terms of a, you're welcome to start right now, but it's in terms of a, an official start date, January 11th, and we are intending to create some kind of forum, some kind of online forum where where anyone who has committed themselves to this hundred days in whatever creative way you have, that you can describe some of what you're offering or some of what you're dealing with on a, on a kind of forum or maybe even a Facebook page or a wall or whatever you call that, a news feed. <laughs> I, just, I'm, I don't know if I told this group, but somebody complained because I was on Facebook and somebody complained that I never w- wrote on my wall. And so the next day I wrote, I, some, I just realized I had a wall. I didn't know I had one. <laughs> so I didn't really know what all that was about. But, but hopefully we will have a wall or a news feed or whatever it is and as a kind of gathering place, something like that. Because it, it's really time. It is really time to stop postponing. Stop postponing the letting go, the discovery of the life that we really long for. It's time to stop postponing and putting it off. In fact, it's amazing. I had no thought of how I might read this tonight or where it would fit in, but it seems like it does. This is a, um, an often quoted passage from the Hopi elders, and I think you might appreciate it. I'll skip around a little bit. You have been telling the people that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour, and there are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in right relation? This was perhaps more more relevant uh, to uh, people who live closer to the land, but the next line is, Where is your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth. This is relevant. Create your community. Be good to each other. And do not look outside yourself for the leader. This could be a good time. There is a river flowing now very fast. And it is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. Know this river has its destination. The elders say that we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above water, the water. See who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are taking nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. 
Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we have been waiting for. Do you know that you are the one you have been waiting for? This very person that sits here tonight. Oh, this is from the, uh, the elders, Aribe, Arizona, Hopi Nation. Are you in right relation? I love that line. Are you in right relation? I think in terms of the, the Buddha Dharma, the right relation is um, the secret to whether or not we suffer. And the right relation is not so much what is happening in our life, what our situation is, but how it is that we are relating to our situation. What is the attitude in our mind? Is our attitude uh, open? Are we letting go, letting things be as they are? At least meeting them openly, with curiosity, with a certain willingness Are we meeting things with a lot of resistance or tension? The word I I often use is, are we contentious with reality? Are we straining? Are we exerting excessive energy to make things happen in our life? This is the likelihood, the, the presence of the three poisons that the Buddha talked about as the the, um, ca- the three root causes of suffering, grasping in the mind, greed, hatred in the mind, or aversion, delusion in the mind, uh, personalizing, creating, creating, uh, creating a sense of isolation and separation. Uh, so are any of those poisons in your mind? What, are you in right relation? And are you in relationship, are you in right relation to things as they are? And the Buddha, you know, since this is a gathering of uh, insight meditation practice, it's, we speak of the, some of the central insights and teachings of the, of the Buddha that hopefully are, you recognize as universal truths and not just Buddhist truths. Uh, But the Buddha very specifically invited us to be in uh, wise relation or wise relationship to things the way they are. And we can discover for ourselves and what he wanted us to look at is the common characteristics of everything that is in our life. The common characteristics of every experience that we have from the moment we wake up in the morning till the time we go to bed, that there is a common, there are common characteristics to every experience. And if we are in harmony with, with things the way they are, these common characteristics, we will not suffer as much. We will not add suffering to our own minds or to the suffering of others. What are those three common characteristics of every Experience that we need to be in right relationship with. Anybody willing to scream it out? 
Change, impermanence, change and impermanence. Everything that arises has the nature to pass away. How do you feel when you think of that? Does that, does that make your heart stir at all? All conditioned things have the nature to arise and to pass away. In the Buddha's teaching, this is meant to, theoretically it doesn't sound so exciting, but if we are truly living in harmony with this law of impermanence and change, then it is said to bring a great sense of relief. Anybody, I'm curious, what's your hit on impermanence and change? How do you feel? Oh, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, don't, I realized I didn't put on my glasses. Shana. Oh, oh my gosh, change. Oh, good for you. So, so, the, so the insight about change came to you after you had gone through a little, a, some machinations about having missed something that was going on, or, or no, not so, so much missed, but the fact that it was different. Yes. Ah, oh, there was a group and you weren't part of it. So it sounded like there was a whole sequence of things, but then when you reflected on change, you felt better about it. Okay, so it... Just, it's very, very comforting when things are bad. It's an ever so slight pinhole when things are very good. It's a very slight pinhole when things are good. Hmm. And that, and so then impermanence isn't such a such a pleasant association. Uh huh. Anyone else? Unsettling. It's unsettling because it is uncontrollable. Thank you. It feels unsafe. Yes. That is true. Life is like that. So what happens when we're not in harmony with that? We're like the Hopi elders. We're clinging to the shore. Please, Danny. He's saying uh, change is going to happen, and you can direct a lot of that change. I think it's more. I think it's more in relationship to the law that no matter what change you make, it's going to change. That everything is in a constant state of flux and change. No matter what we can direct or what we can't direct, it's much more. It's even more primary than than the fact that we can influence our lives. There's no doubt about that. Uh, from a certain vantage point. We can influence our lives. That's a that's another question, Carlos. Well, before I read, I read the. Um, the quote from the Hopi elders and the beautiful image is the river flowing, continually flowing along. 
It is never static. It is always in in uh, continual movement. And so, if, if that is that what you were needing? Yeah. Yeah. That and, and yeah. Yes, and just. I don't know how poetic it is, but our bodies are aging. Our thoughts are continually appearing and disappearing. Where are all the... You know, you've all heard the statistic that we have 65,000 thoughts every day. And that 90%, this is just a little sidelight, that 90% of those are repeats from the day before. But, but where are they? Where did they go? Perhaps not so poetic, but it's how it is. And what about what about uh, it is like a river, this life. It's it's like a river. And we have to let go into it. So the first characteristic is everything that arises passes away. And I think we I think in order to be in harmony with this, it is, a, it is useful to make it part of our 100-day retreat as a, a daily reflection. And I think one way of doing that to make it fun, perhaps, would be to chant the chant that is done every day in monasteries throughout the world to remind us of this. And... Well, I can offer you the Pali language that's very common in monasteries, but I'll, after that, I'll, we'll do that call and response, but after that, we'll do the English together, and then I'll move on to the other characteristics. This goes, uh, the words are basically all things that arise have the nature to pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings relief, happiness. Anicca vara sankara Anicca vara sankara Upadvaya damino Upadvaya damino Upakitua Upakitua Niruchanti Desang Vupasamo Sukho we have to do it three times. Anicca vara sankara Upadvaya damino Upakitua niruchanti Upakitua niruchanti Desang Upasamo sukho Anicca vara sankara Upadvaya damino Upakitua niruchanti Upakitua niruchanti Desang vupasamo sukho Desang vupasamo sukho all things are impermanent. They rise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth. To be in harmony with this truth. 
brings great happiness. Might as well do this one three times together. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. Together this time. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. So this is the beginning of right relation. Uh, The second characteristic that we... What's that? Suffering. It's not that simple, but it, because everything has the nature to arise and to pass away, to cling, to not be in harmony with this truth brings suffering. When we are not in harmony with the fact of change, when we try to make, in any experience of our life, we try to make it lasting, we fail to recognize it and let it arise and let it go let it let it pass away then we experience a sense of um, of what's called dukkha or the f- dukkha in the in the f- uh, expression of unreliability uh, unsatisfactory we we feel this kind of wave of of sorrow when things pass away if we cling to them so that every experience, because it arises and changes, is unreliable as a source of lasting happiness. This is the second characteristic. How do you feel when you hear that? Everyone. Everyone in your life, everything in your life, every uh, experience, every role, every sitting, every uh, anything that you hold near and dear, if you cling to it, because eventually you will say goodbye to all of it. If you cling to it, you will get, um, you will, I, I always, I'm always inclined to say, you will get rope burn. But you will experience some degree of, of friction, some degree of suffering. How do you feel when you think about that? Any reactions? I saw a few heads shaking. Jim? I don't really like that one because I'm good at holding on to things. You've got lots of company. Anyone else? Please. Simone. When I wake up with my beloved cat. When I wake up with my beloved cat. I want to experience that forever. I want to experience that forever. Exactly. It is so utterly human to when touched by the deliciousness of uh, intimacy and love with a person, a pet, uh, a sight, I mean anything, to especially animate uh, beings, uh, it is, um, it's sorrowful to have to let go of that. But 
to be in harmony with things as they are. We have to uh, acknowledge the pain of that, but we have to learn to let go. We have to learn to be in right relation or we suffer. We suffer enough just by the fact of change, let alone holding on. Please, Kirti. You have when you when you have passion for something in life, yes. Well, the question is the question that came from this is it mean the quality of passion fades away? I think the the point of this teaching is that what actually what actually compresses what. Uh, what diminishes, contracts our passion, our vitality, our energy, our sense of freedom, our sense of love is our clinging, our not being in harmony with things. And it seems just if you can, you know, you just came off retreat, you can see that when, there, when you experience a mind temporarily free of grasping that just allows the arising and passing of things with a little bit more grace, there's often an upsurge of joy. There's often an upsurge of passion in this capacity to be right in the middle, right in the middle of life, completely engaged with it, but, but, um, but supported by this clear understanding that things are in flux. You can't hold on. Things are happening, and who said before, out of control. And that that, from the perspective of being open to it, brings a lot of energy, a lot of happiness, and even out of control becomes a a source of joy. That you don't have to hold on anymore. That you can literally jump into the river. You can let go and ride the waves. Please. Yes, cling to sorrow, pain. Everything will pass. You, but sorrow and pain, it adds to sorrow and pain the extra tight fist of grasping. To be in harmony with the fact that there is sorrow and pain in life, this is the Buddha's uh, first noble truth. There's suffering. Welcome it. Accept it. There, is, there are those conditions in our life that are hard to bear. Be in harmony with this. This is what right relation. So the last characteristic that we need to be in wise relationship to, and this is the most subtle, and yet the, the most, it's most beguiling, the most confusing to us, is that everything in our lives, every experience that we have that arises and passes away that cannot be clung to, also arises and passes uh, in a way that is um, selfless, that is unbidden, that comes and goes by itself, that includes all that we take to be me and mine. Our body is born of itself through causes and conditions. It, 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 it is formed through 
through non-personal causes, it comes into being. It ages all by itself. There's not a little agent in there saying, now get a little older. Now get really old. Now get sick and now die. It is, in a, it is a natural process that has no agency behind it. It is selfless. It is what's called anatta. It is not self. It is marked by that element that it's happening all by itself. The thoughts that come into the mind, even the ones that, that, that are suggesting, I thought that, even those thoughts come unbidden. They come by themselves. Even the ones that appear from a certain vantage point as volitional thoughts, intentional thoughts, even those, if we were to look very carefully at their rising, we see that they, they come, they arise according to conditions. Now this is, as you hear this, you'll say, well, I thought that thought. It was my thought and I thought it. You didn't think it. From a conventional viewpoint, they are your thoughts. But from a, more, a deeper, more meditative understanding, an understanding that lets us be in harmony with the flow of, of thoughts and feelings, it is important at some point in the span of our practice, our life, to see that thoughts are their own thinkers. That the feelings that we have are their own feelers. That in fact there really is no agency behind our different feeling life, our sensation life, even our other sense doors. To be able to be in harmony with this selflessness of things brings a great relief from the, from the pain and contraction of personalizing everything of take, making everything into me and mine and creating that feeling that so many of us walk around with that I'm somehow locked into my own little pod, my own little island of separation and misery apart from the flow of life as the metaphor I often use that I borrowed from the Hindu tradition, I'm the one wave who has gotten separated from the ocean. And this is, the, this is the experience of a heart and mind that is, under, is not in harmony with the truth of selflessness. That, that behind this whole apparatus called me and mine is a, is a continually, um, that we are continually being created and, and, um, and falling apart based on uh, contingencies based on conditions, based on uh, something that's really, as you said, out of control, but a lawful unfolding of cause and effect, and being affected by everything and affecting everything. And we really can, if we touch into that sense that we are, that a selfless process doesn't mean just, oh, I'm, I'm nothing, it means being nothing that can be separated apart from everything else, means that I am, I am connected to everything. So seeing through the self-illusion in things means ultimately, experientially, seeing through the illusion of others. And through that, the absence of that illusion, we, uh, we experientially connect with the, um, the deep intimacy that we all have with life, that the wave has never been separate from the ocean. 
and we fall once again back into that ocean of existence. We, as the the little duck poem, do you, any of you remember? I read that. Maybe I'll read it tonight. Maybe this is a good time for it. <laughs> now we are ready to look at something really special, pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he is thinking things over. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a bit like a mandarin, or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree. But he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you, but he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. I'll read this part again. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing into it, himself into it, just where it touches him. The people of the Middle Ages were more like this duck than we are. They took life as it presented itself and ran, up, ran it up in spires of Gothic. They crossed few oceans, but they floated on the sea of time. And a cat is more like this duck than we are. We can radio to the moon and get back a pip for an answer, but a cat can make a hearth rug in a, a haven in the infinite or launch four kittens into life in a cracker box by the furnace, purring with pride because she is tuned in on cosmic, wa cosmic waves. I like the little duck. He doesn't know much, but he has religion. So He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. If we're not in harmony with the, with the flow of life, the selflessness, the changing nature, the ungraspability, the unreliability, we, it makes it difficult for us to sit down right in the middle of it, right where life touches us. So that's why, getting back to how I started this evening, how important it is, how this is the time to stop, to, in whatever way you know how, break that spell of compulsive human doingness and reclaim your human beingness. It's just so easy to live a whole life running from silence. And right in the midst of it all, the very one to whom you are even, the very one to, 
very place from which you are experiencing right now is the is the um, is the one you're looking for. You are the one you are looking for. How do we know this? How do we discover this? By tuning into ourselves, not the idea of ourselves, not the story of our situation, but the direct, immediate experience of our. Uh, unique feeling of life right here. And it's so interesting for me what happens after just a few moments of, of, to use these words again, of making myself part of the boundless by easing myself into it just where it touches me. Right here. Just sense it right now, right where life is touching you. Where is the separation between anything when we stop? We touch what the Buddha called ekagata, one-pointedness, the deeper meaning being the one point that includes everything. You are that. You are the Buddhas. Kala Rinpoche says, why don't you understand this? He says, because there's a veil in the way. That veil is the idea that you, that you uh, worship, which is, I am not the Buddha. If you can't uh, see through this instantly, that you can dissolve this gradually, over and over, returning to this simple presence until, as one teacher puts it, until all bonds are broken, grasping and attachment ends, and life becomes supremely concentrated in the present. How, do we, how does this happen? We have to stop. We have to let ourselves be. We have to pay attention. Fuse, please. Please. Say that again. I'm a crossword, puzzle fan. crossword puzzle fan. Yes. 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 When he's a crossword puzzle person, and when he when he. Uh, when he tries to get the answer, it doesn't come, but it comes unbidden and he's quite happy. Yes, you're just giving a great truth. So I'd like to close. I'm sorry we've gone over a little bit. I appreciate everybody's presence and input. And then I have some announcements, so don't run away too quickly. This is uh, from Pablo Neruda, one of my favorite poems of his. Don't know the title, but I'll just share it with you. Now we will count to twelve, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak any language. Let's stop for a second, and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines, we would all be together in a sudden strangeness. 
If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us, as when everything seems dead in winter and later proves to be alive, proves to be alive, now I'll count to twelve, and you keep quiet, and I will go. So let's just keep quiet for a moment. No need to change posture. In whatever way you can commit yourself tonight to stopping, keeping quiet, looking within, not flopping your arms so much, as many times as possible. Let it be so. And let us consider that if there's been any benefit to our stopping together tonight, any goodness, any blessings, any merit, any any fruit from our practice that we remember that when we touch this stillness we are we are reminded of our connectedness to each other and we dedicated we dedicate our life and our blessings, our practice, our work and everything to the welfare and benefit of all beings, including ourselves. And we pray, we pray, we incline our hearts in deep reverence and prayer and wish and well wishing and deep wish deeply that all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives and have the causes of happiness and peace surrounding them and functioning and growing in their lives, that all beings can be free of suffering and all the causes of suffering decreasing, waning, and a deep wish that all beings can recognize that sacred happiness that is without sorrow, here and now, right where life touches us. A deep wish that all beings can touch that joy of serenity and equanimity, able to sit like a mountain in the midst of all the joys and all the sorrows with, uh, with less reactivity. May all beings be free. May our practice benefit all, all beings. Three different announcements. Uh, first announcement: uh, the next two weeks, 
the next two weeks, you will be um, have the great uh, pleasure if you come. I hope you will. Even though it's the Christmas holiday season, uh, we will have the group running throughout. And the next two weeks, Yvonne Ginsberg will be back. She has a wonderful way of weaving the the solstice and the new year and everything into uh, ritual and to make it sacred. Uh, she has a deep appreciation for the sacred and for uh, honoring dates. That's that was my that's my memory of her. Even though I haven't been here when she's led on the, but she's she's usually the one that leads during this time of year. So next Tuesday, the twenty first, and Tuesday the twenty eighth, she will be leading the group. And so please come and support each other. Just know that there's a place to sit uh, in the next two weeks. And you can find out more about Yvonne on our website, missiondharma.org. She's a psychotherapist, an activist. She's uh, done peace work. She's done all kinds of things. And she's a wonderful storyteller and great human being. And then... On, unfortunately, I won't be back for the first sitting of the year. Uh, on January 4th, you will be uh, have the great good fortune of being once again with someone who's been here before, but maybe most of you didn't don't know him. But his name is Tom Moon, and he writes a a, a monthly newsletter or blogish kind of thing called The Examined Life, and it's a subscription thing, and it's really great Dharma. And he's, a, uh, as a psychologist and longtime meditator, been practicing for about 15 years or more uh, w- with us and all around. He uh, will be speaking about meditation and anxiety. And he's got a lot, he's learned a lot about it and works with people and and. Uh, will bring in uh, all kinds uh, some very specific practices that you can do together for anxiety and uh, meditation. So please come on January 4th with Tom. His name is Tom Moon. I don't know if I said that yet. So Tom Moon, January 4th, Yvonne um, Ginsburg, the 21st and the 28th of December. I will be back on the 11th, and we will have our official start day for the 100-day retreat and some way of, of us having a gathering place for our commitment to doing that. And we will make it very uh, entertaining but serious at the same time. And it, you, as it's a creative process for you to decide what you are committing yourself to do for those 100 days, uh, you can do something that is within your uh, capacity. Uh, and also a little bit of a stretch at the same time. And it's likely that whatever you plan to do would be of some benefit for other people hearing about it. So maybe we'll discuss some of our own creative ideas that evening and continue with our usual Dharma talk and discussion. So I'm wishing you um, happy seasonal greetings. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm because for me this is the last time this year and I know when we close our eyes we don't know what year it is but in uh, people time this is the end of 2010 
and I've so much appreciated being with all of you this year. This year has been a kind of momentous year that we were the first, it, was, it reminds me of that unique human capacity to turn a difficulty into something positive. We were thrown a 300 plus percent increase in our rent and you, all of you rallied and especially we, uh, there's a cadre of, of people I don't think I can have time to do all the names tonight, but so deep appreciate the, those who have really rallied and helped uh, develop a website, develop uh, ways of, of keeping connected to each other, and just for supporting the group and more than anything, your practice. Uh, I've so much appreciated practicing with you this last year, and I carry all of you in my heart, and it's very easy for me to say I love you, I adore you, I love being here, and uh, I'll look forward to the, to the new year. So I, if I keep talking, I'll cry. So <laughs> anyway... Thanks for your practice. Donna Basket, as usual, room rental, more the merrier. Teacher Donna, more the merrier. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.